as usual, before we get started, we have a few things that um, we want to just get out of the way. First of all, we are so sorry for missing last Friday, um, but I had a friend who had an emergency come up, and I just froze. Okay, it's good now. Um, she had an emergency come up, and she needed me to be available to her, so um, unfortunately, we had to postpone to this Friday, but I mean, we're friends are poor. That's what we do, so <laughs> no big deal. Um, also, um, you'll notice that we're in a different setting today, but uh, we had a super awesome subscriber who gifted us some lovely chosen merch. Which we've wanted for a long time. Yes, yes, we really have. Um, and they wanted to be able, they requested that they be able to see the shirts. You know, we're normally sitting behind the table. You can't really see anything below the shoulder. So we are on the couches today so that they can see the lovely chosen merch. <laughs> so also, um, I did want to say, for those of you who like us, you know, um, probably cannot always, you know, afford like the pay it forward that Dallas talks about at the end of the, or excuse me, the beginning and the end, I guess, <laughs> of each episode um, to ensure that the show is funded and that we get to see the episodes sooner and that there'll continue to be episodes, one of the ways that you can help to support the show, and no, we do not get kickbacks for this or anything. This is just because we love the show and we want to try to help it out and get it funded. Um, you can go to www.thechosengift.com <laughs> Yes, you can go there and get you some lovely chosen shirts and I was supposed to have my bracelet on I forgot the chosen do you have yours on yes, yes. yours got hers on binge Jesus. yes there's binge Jesus I believe he said that shirt is supposed to be back I hope so I want that one um there's binge Jesus the chosen the chosen army my husband's wearing that one um for the men in your lives boys in your life it's in a, a camouflage so the chosen army um what was the other oh get used to different which matches Sierra's shirt that she's wearing today. I love a lot of what these shirts say because not just because they're beautiful and they look cool, but they are super awesome conversational starters. Um, like, for instance, just, you know, the pattern of mind to anybody that's never watched the show, they might wonder what that means, you know, and that can... Fish. Yeah. <laughs> what does this mean that these are going this way and those are, you know, it, it's a conversation starter. It opens up to be able to um, talk to them, you know, about going against the current and what that means, you know, from a Christian perspective and walking through this world where, especially these days, just about anything where you choose to live for the Lord is going to go against the current. Um, or Sierra's get used to different, you know, that's a conversation starter. What do you mean get used to different? What You know, um, and another one that I really love. Um, and I'd like to have it one day too. I don't know if any of you have checked out thechosengifts.com, but if you have not, you should. There is a shirt from, I guess it was the previous season. Yeah, the very last episode, The Trouble, where you see the, um, the outline of the disciples and, and they're going out to the world. Yeah, and it says Trouble. It's in a beautiful, gorgeous blue. But the whole thing is that, you know, to be sporting that shirt, 
again, anybody who's never watched the show would want to know, what does that mean? What do you mean trouble? Who are these people? <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? And I really like it because, you know, so many people look at Christianity, they focus on the whole turn the other cheek thing. Um, that we would just, you know, step aside, turn aside, or even sadly, a lot of Christians think, you know, just be a doormat. And that is so not the case. And something that has become very brought to life, I think, for lack of a better way of putting that, um, in this season is that when you are trying to, I guess, bring his kingdom here, <laughs> when you're trying to expand the kingdom, when you're trying to spread the word, um, a lot of times it's going to go against what the world says. It's going to go against those worldly laws. Rock the boat. Yes. Up the water. Stirs up the water. Yes, exactly. Uh, my mom says that that needs to be a church. She's right. Sometimes his quote, Jesus's quote, you know, I think that was what, episode four or five? Like sometimes you just got to stir up the water. Um, and you do. Sometimes you just have to stir up the water. And what happens, that causes trouble. That causes trouble. And so we are meant to be set apart. We are meant to be different. And today's world, especially, that tends to cause trouble so it kind of equates if we are here to be different we are here to be set apart then we are here to cause a little bit of trouble and you know it just it's facts jesus caused trouble his disciples caused trouble simply because they were going against the worldly ways of doing things and so are we and i think that that shirt would be an excellent conversation starter to get more people to understand and see that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you just sit back and keep your mouth shut and don't say anything when evil and wickedness is running rampant. Um, so, just saying, if you don't have some lovely merch already, um, or you would like to spread some to perhaps some of your family members or friends or you just want to contribute when it comes to keeping the chosen going, keep the show going, get those episodes out sooner. This is a lovely way to be able to help them out. It's a lovely way to spread the word about the show. It's a lovely way, especially to spread the word about the gospel. Um, and so therefore you're helping out in a lot of ways because one of the biggest ways is just telling others about the show. Oh, she found us good. Yay, yay, yay. <laughs> so, we were just discussing our lovely chosen merch. I hope you like it. <laughs> um, so, that being said, I think that covers all the necessaries. Um, since we were supposed to, last week, cover Season 1, Episode 2, um, I had to refresh myself on my notes on that, but I think I am ready to jump in. So, are you ready? Ready? Okay, so season one, episode two was Shabbat. Okay, Shabbat. that was a very good episode. I do really like the episode. Um, obviously, there is a bit of tension rising on the part of 
and Simon and Andrew because of what Simon's gotten into. But at the same time, uh, which I think is fitting, being an episode about the Sabbath, um, it's kind of a relief from the first episode. You know, that was a really, really intense, dark episode. Yeah. So this one, I feel like, has a little more humor and more just like gentle scenes and nice. Well, since you brought up the thing about Simon and Andrew, that was a, a point that I had jotted down to talk about that I, I saw an interesting thing there. Um, <clears throat> okay, so in this episode, we know that Simon had decided to betray some of his fellow people, you know, some fellow fishermen. He was trying to justify it because they were merchants that were taking up, you know, most of the fish, keeping them from being able to have enough to be able to, you know, feed their families or to pay their bills. He, he was trying to justify it, okay? Why? Because he was in a desperate situation. They were looking at, you know, losing their boat, which was their only way of making a living. They were looking at losing their home. He was not wanting to have to tell his wife, you know, the situation that they were in. I mean, we've all kind of, if we haven't been in these situations ourselves and known people who've been in these situations, we see what that's like. I see she said something. I can't see what it is. Um, she said, lovely, I bought the trouble t-shirt. Great theory. Oh, we were just talking about the trouble t-shirt. <laughs> You'll have to go back and, and see that part. Um, yes. Uh, to me, that one is by far the best conversation starter is the trouble one. Uh, another one, though, that would be really good, I meant to mention that earlier, is the one that says... Um, and we're actually going to talk about it because it was from this episode was um, I was one way and now I'm another. And the thing that happened in between with him and it, the words are written so that it's in a cross design. It's really cool. My favorite part of that shirt is I when it says one way it has the gray fish. When it says non completely different. It has the I didn't even fish. notice that. That's cool. I yeah. love that touch. It links the different ones. Details. Together. It's always in the details. Yes. I didn't notice that. Um. So anyway, if we haven't personally been in that situation, we know someone who has been or we've been in similar circumstances where we feel like we're so desperate, you know, that, that we're willing to do just about anything. And so we'll be more likely to do things that we not we normally wouldn't even consider, we wouldn't even think about, you know, especially when our loved ones are at risk because right. of something. We tend to do that. Um, but we also tend to justify it because even, it's something that we wouldn't normally consider. Um, did you hear? <laughs> it's something we wouldn't normally consider. So we have it's not sitting well with us. We're not comfortable with it. So we start making justifications to try to make ourselves comfortable with it. You know, talk ourselves into it, so to speak. So that's what Simon's doing because Andrew, of course, is just... He's talking. Yeah, he's flabbergasted. He can't understand. It's like he doesn't even recognize him. You know, what are you thinking? What are you saying? These are our people, you know? And so Simon's justifying it. He's like, well, yeah, but they're merchants. They're not like us. You know, they're, they're literally taking food from our mouths. They're taking food from, you know, he's like Eden's mouth. And, you know, he, he's trying. He specifically says they're not family. They're not family. Um, so this was the thing to me though, because you can't believe for a second that Andrew 
loves his family any less than Simon does. Um, or that he doesn't understand the situation any less than Simon does. There's one difference. When you stop and think about it, you're like, okay, they're brothers. They have the same family members. They have the same profession. They're in the exact same situation. They both stand to risk the, to lose the same things. What is the one difference that makes Simon so willing to do this and Andrew not? And the only thing I could come up with was who knew the Messiah first? Andrew. Exactly. Because of Andrew studying underneath John, he knew a lot more about him. He recognized him when he first came. So we can kind of get from that that while, yes, he couldn't actually have a full relationship with Jesus at that point, he still had more of an understanding and an insight than Simon did. So while Simon was still so focused on these worldly troubles that were in front of him, Andrew, however, was focusing on the Messiah. He was focusing more on there's a better way and it's going to be okay. Um, he was putting family first. He was putting love first, I guess you could say. Um honor um I, I can't i'm having trouble coming up with the word that i'm looking for here but um these his character i guess you could say integrity, integrity. that's the word i was looking for integrity <laughs> it's integrity um simon was just so focused on what was right in front of him and a lot of times that is where especially men i find as providers where they find themselves. They are so focused on the fact that um, they may not be able to provide for their wife. They may not be able to provide for their family. Um, they don't want to have to go and explain, you know, that situation to their wife or their family. They don't want them doing without. And they feel like it makes them a failure because they identify so much with that role. And I can so clearly see this in Simon. Um, they forget that this is not what's so important. This is not what's most important. When it's all said and done, this is not what really matters. And I think Andrew was focusing more on that. That, you know, I guess he was perhaps thinking ahead a little bit. So let's say that Simon did go through with this. We know he, spoiler alert, we know that he doesn't. <laughs> okay. But let's say he did. Let's say that he did. Okay. And how long do you think it would have been before they found out who actually was riding them out? Who was causing this trouble? And then what would that have led to? And to me, that would have been far worse circumstances than what he was looking at because let's look at the flip side let's say that he didn't we know he didn't but let's just say that you know he just chose not to from the get-go and let's say they did get kicked out what do you think would have happened i'm not sure what train of thought we're on here <laughs> they lost their home 
let's say that their home was taken. Let's say that their boat was taken. So they're homeless at this point and they have no way of making a living. What do you think would have happened? Well, I imagine Jesus still would have called them. Oh, yes, but I'm not quite going to there yet. I believe their family, their people, would have taken them in. They would have helped them. <laughs> but to go with Simon's method, okay, let's think about this, okay? He goes through with this. He turns them in. They find out, you know, that, that he's done this. The Romans use them for as long as they're useful, and then they toss them to the side. For all I know, they could go back and claim back taxes. What they're going to do about it? And this time, your family, your people, they have no use for you now either because look what you did, you know? So, to me, I think Andrew was looking ahead a little bit. You stay true to the people who are true to you. That's your family. That's your people. That's the people who you are like-minded with. But Jesus often works through, you know, our family and our people. But I think it's a combination of the two. I think Andrew was focusing on that, but I think it's also, I, I, I found the one big difference between the two was Andrew knew far more about the Messiah. Well, she's in your state of mind and faith, maybe, because we also have Mary and Martha. I think that's a decent point, too. Um, that's actually a similarity between Peter and Martha, as they feel like they have to do everything. <laughs> Older siblings, both of them, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Tell me, oldest sibling. <laughs> do you often feel like you have to do everything? I, I wouldn't say that I feel like that too much. Um, I actually... I probably identify a little more with Andrew and Mary most of the time. I feel more like one that someone else can handle something better than I could, <laughs> and that um, that you know there's like hope in things even if I can't do something, but you know it'll still be okay. Mm. But it depends on the situation. So maybe there is a touch of a pride issue. Huh? They feel like no know. one could do it better. That has to be done them because <laughs> they're the only ones who would do it right. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe so. Yeah, I, but I think it's kind of like what you were talking about with this sense of honor. Like, I really get the impression with Martha because she's like, you know, I'm the lady of the house. This is my responsibility to, to be the, the lady, the hostess, to feed these people and you know, that kind of thing. And then Peter has that with being the man of the house. Yeah. And Peter just kind of like takes it upon himself to fight every problem that comes. I really get the impression that he feels like that's what he's good at. And so he, he tries to work within that. Like, that's, like, I mean, I don't know about in, in the actual, you know, real life, but in the sense of the show, I, I get that a lot, that he feels like that's all he can really contribute to the group is the muscle. <laughs> and so that's what he keeps trying to jump into. We have leadership leader he's like talking with Jesus and he's like, you know, we kinda need some organization here. <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah. totally hinting at himself being leader. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I get and you know, this is what happens with a lot of us that I, I I wasn't even meaning to go down this trail, but hey, we're here, so let's go. Um that this is how he sees himself, but Jesus sees more. 
he sees something else in him and he knows what he was created for. So he's trying to bring that out and to show him that he's more than just that. And is that not often the case with us? We get this idea of something in our head that we're good at and this is what we're supposed to do or that it's the only thing we're good at and that we can contribute and do. But he's often through usually ways that we don't like or that at least make us very uncomfortable. He tries to show us that we are more than that. There's there's more that we have to offer and he wants to use us in different ways. And we tend to limit him a lot of times because we have this fixed idea that this is what we're good at and this is all we can contribute. And you can kind of see that play out with, as you were just saying, the way that Simon functions in the group or he tries to force himself into in the group um, that this is what, you know, his use is. Now, we know what Peter later comes, well, he becomes Peter, <laughs> what he, um, he becomes to be, you know, far different from the person we see in the beginning. So Jesus is successful, of course. Um, no shocker there. But he, he I, I think, was limiting himself. Well, he was limiting Jesus. Um, and we tend to do that. You know, we automatically balk and say, I can't do that. That's not what I'm good at. I don't even know anything about that. Well, it doesn't matter if we can do it. It matters that he can do it. So, you know, we just have to learn to, to let him. See, so that's Peter's strength slash skill. Like, why can't I cut the soldier's ear off, Jesus? Yeah. I'm good at that. See? I'm good at that. <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and that's how we are, sadly, you know, why can't I do that? That's what I'm good at. You know, it's kind of like, as you know, many times I've talked about starting these videos. I don't want to do that. I can't do that. I don't want to talk in front of cameras and have people look at me. That's <laughs> not what I'm good at. <laughs> but he felt otherwise, so here we are. You and me both. <laughs> something? <laughs> I recruited you into this awkwardness, or rather, I believe he recruited you into this awkwardness as well, but, you know, hey, it's accomplished things, so. Junior's here, too. And he's very good at awkwardness, too. <laughs> so, now that we've covered the whole Simon Andrew thing, um, of course, I have to talk about Matthew again. We always have to talk about Matthew. Um, I felt it was a very big thing, or at least notable to me in this episode. Of course, you know, Matthew requests to go see um, Quintus. Took me a minute. I get Gaius and Quintus. Yeah, yeah, I have to <laughs> He requested to go see Quintus so that he could verify that their debt had been dismissed, right? So Quintus is trying to talk him out of it. He's like, you know, do you even Gaius know? Excuse me. Yes, Gaius. <laughs> See, I do it every time. Gaius is trying to talk him out of it. You know, he's like, do you even know who you're talking to? Do you know what he's capable of kind of thing? And what gets me is he's like, he doesn't even understand why Gaius is questioning this because in his mind, there is no question of, taking care of this you know he's all about honesty and like, I'm facts. going to do my job 
Exactly, exactly. And he's, he's honest to a fault, you know. It's like he's in a situation where he literally could have been killed for having, you know, just, just questioning anything coming before him, taking up his time, anything. So he's literally facing danger, possible death, but he feels compelled to do the right thing. That's his thing is this is the right thing. This is what you do. This is, you know, my job description. Which is a character strength. It is. It really is. And in his head, he doesn't understand it any other way. This is just what you do. It doesn't matter. And he's like, you can so clearly, the actor is so good. You can so clearly see the confusion on his face. Like, why is this even a question? You know, why are you even trying to talk me out of this? But um, he, I think this is, uh, yes, a character trait in him that I think it's beneficial to the group. It's it's admirable. It's something to work towards. And this is where I go once again, where I was talking about before, where I noticed, like, say, with the blind person. Um, and I, I see with Matthew. Matthew, obviously, is being portrayed as autistic here. That when you eliminate some of these abilities, it actually hones in. You know, like I was saying, the blind person, he couldn't see these worldly things in front of his face, so he was zeroed and focused in on the Messiah. Okay. In this case, what does a normal person, I don't want to say normal, that's not the way I mean that. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> I'm not so good with the PC talk. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? A, a, a average person um, would... Do what Gaius was doing. But what if? But what if? But what if? But think about this. They question everything, okay? Whereas with an autistic person, they just deal in facts. Everything is black and white. Everything is right and wrong. They deal in facts, and it is what it is. It's that straightforward and it's that simple. Well, what does the Bible say? Let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Black and white is straightforward. Let's leave it at that. We don't need all this fluff and stuff. He knew what was right and it didn't matter what he had to face to do what's right. Now, how could we not learn from that? And you get the, the sense of his viewpoint when um, in the, the later episode. But Spoiler he, alert. When he was saying... <laughs> To Simon, what he's like, oh, variable. People are always adding variables. <laughs> and uh, you can see how amusing that thought is. And, like, why would you... Why? Why yes. focus on anything but the fact? You know, it's kind of like... Um, most of you know, I, I homeschool. And I was teaching math to my daughter yesterday. My youngest daughter. And we were covering word problems. Um, and... If you think back to when you first started learning how to do word problems, what is the first problem that you usually encounter with word problems? Um, that you have a certain amount of cookies to divide between a certain <laughs> amount of people. Not what I meant, but yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Um, oh, I, I meant a problem as in something that you have to just eventually learn to do. Um, oh, they always throw in extra information that is not needed. Uh, that's a big thing <laughs> in logical puzzles, too. 
to find the extreme. You have to figure out what the actual information is that is needed and disregard the rest. And so she was learning that yesterday because she was getting all fixed up. One of the problems that we did, it was talking about the different colors, how many you had of each color, and, you know, all this stuff. And so she's asking, like, how many, what colors were these again? And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. What was the question? You know, like, is that relevant? Do we really need to know what colors they are? And so she thought about it for a minute. She, well, no. Like, exactly. They try to trick you. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about here, right? You get all this extra if or we tell ourselves, start questioning, you know, bringing up all this extra information. And what Gaius was talking to, that's going to mess up our recording. Um, if Gaius was, when he was talking to Matthew about this, in Matthew's head, I think that's exactly what he was hearing. Is Why are you telling me all of this stuff that doesn't matter? It doesn't change that this is what's supposed to be done. This is what needs to be done, you know, that. None of this information matters, you know, and I feel like that's exactly what we do in our heads. We're creating the fluff and stuff of word problems a lot of times <laughs> instead of focusing on what actually needs to be done, what, what you need to know. And I think we tend to do that for the same reason that we started off with, with talking about Simon. A lot of times we know exactly what needs to be done, just like Matthew did. But like Gaius, we don't want to. So we try to justify it like Simon <laughs> with all of this extra stuff that doesn't really have anything to do with anything. It's just what makes us feel better about not doing what we know we're supposed to do. She's or doing what we know we're not supposed to do. <laughs> she said, sounds like politics never answer the real question. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Exactly. She also said that she likes different, and Matthew totally is. Matthew is very different, and yes, he, he as Quintus put it, he is delightfully weird. <laughs> odd. Odd, yes, delightfully odd. <laughs> very, very apt description there. What is your take on... Um, the fact that when, you know, like, everything in Quintus's demeanor was saying that they should, like, get this over, just get out now, you know, Gaius is ready to go, and then Matthew persists and says he doesn't find Simon reliable. Like, what's your take on why he felt the need to do that? I would say integrity once again, and perhaps even a sense of duty, because it, it was his duty to collect these taxes, and if he fully believed that Simon was not going to do what he said, then in his head, they were getting ripped off, because he was supposed to be performing a duty in exchange for these debts being paid, and if he wasn't going to perform the duty, then I guess I'm thinking in Matthew's head, he felt like he was aware of this knowledge, and if he didn't give this knowledge that, you know, it would be wrong because that's his duty is to make sure that these taxes get paid. That's how I initially viewed it. And then um, it was one of the things that I was watching where Dallas talks about the episodes and such. And I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure he said something about um, that that was a hint of 
uh, you know, that Matthew wasn't so perfect and that, um, that he kind of, like, felt the need to sort of tattletale on Simon there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that at yeah, all. Yeah, I, I didn't hear it that way. Yeah. Um, I'm not totally sure uh, what he meant there because it, it doesn't really seem like Matthew's thing. He did just want to get somebody in trouble. No. Though, maybe you're hitting on it with the thought that he might be getting ripped off. Maybe it's just that he wants his full payment for his job. Well, you can kind of sort of get the sense that he was disappointed that he was not going to get to collect this debt, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, maybe? This I, I is know. what I live for. <laughs> like, well, you know, they refer to, spoiler alert again, I think it was this last episode, they referred to the fact that it was like the biggest debt that had ever been owed. So I can imagine as a tax collector, that's like a real boom to collect the biggest debt that was ever yeah. owed. And he was so close there, you know, and then <laughs> was taken away, wiped out, and by Simon, who he obviously didn't have the most affection for anyway. But, um, so yeah, I, I could kind of see that, that he was still trying to, to work towards that. But no, I really didn't pick up on that. I really just thought it was his sense of duty, you know, that he took this job very seriously. And he wanted to make sure that, you know, all his bases were covered. <clears throat> Hmm. Interesting. I guess Very we just don't want to look at him that way. No. <laughs> it's like, it's so easy to not really pay attention to Neil Matthews' faults because he's just so likable and interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, Dallas himself and in the little devotion once talked a lot about, you know, that it was serious for a Jew to become a tax collector, and that was, you know, there was definitely greed involved, and it's betraying your people. Which, I thought, the opening, which gives the background on Shabbat, kind of, you know, it has that whole segment in the past where they're sort of explaining it. I think a lot of themes from that are carried on, kind of echoed in the episode itself, whether it's compared or contrasted. Like, uh, you're talking about honoring God, family, people, mm -hmm. um, and if you think about it, uh, so Matthew, if you look at it that way, has betrayed his people, and Simon is now venturing the steel to betray his people, and it's going to take place on Shabbat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, the whole part where he's saying, you know, they're not family, I felt like that was kind of a an echo back from the opening where the lady was talking about, you know, everyone that they're honoring, and the little boy was like, even strangers? <laughs> so they didn't know they don't have to be famous. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm a firm believer that family doesn't mean blood-related. That's, um, I guess you could say blood kin, that's relatives, but family, it's a whole different thing. It's all in how you treat one another. It's who's there when it counts, and that's why I was saying I firmly believe that if he chose not to betray them, and the Romans did take their home and their boat and everything, that their family, 
would have taken them in and helped them to get back on their feet. Could have hooked up with Zebedee and James and John and all fished together. There you go. Exactly. I, I believe they would have been cared for because that's what family does, regardless of whether you're blood-related or not. That's what you do. The Romans, however, they could entice them with that money, but they would have betrayed them in a second, and they, as soon as they were of no longer any use, they'd have turned them loose and probably claimed back taxes. But that's often, you know, the thing is, especially when you're in a desperate situation, you look at that immediate gratification, that immediate um, solution to the problem, and that's all you're seeing. And you, you don't really look past that as to the possible outcome ahead. Oh, she said she thought uh, with Matthew, with him saying that, that it was uh, compulsion because everything has to balance and order in his mind. Balance and check, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that the emotion of tattling or betrayal didn't enter into his mind. Yeah. Sounds legit. Yeah, that's more kind of what I was thinking, is it was more like duty related, but if Salas said otherwise and then he's the writer of the show, I guess he's not. Well, I guess he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> she said, Isn't it wonderful you see the disciples come together and love each other as a family? I really like how they're becoming like family. You know, they've had a lot of arguments lately, but you know. I think they're going to keep So that closer. what family does, though, as you get closer. <laughs> and I remember in one of them in season two, I think, when they're, you know, around the campfire and Simon starts, like, confronting Matthew that uh, it was kind of pointed out that he was being a little bit hypocritical because he had also almost kind of betrayed people. Tell your... Mess up recording. And he was like that different, you know, in circumstances and didn't actually do it and that kind of thing. But she said, yes, he writes the show, but... <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> we'll just be careful in it. Mm -hmm. want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure he has said that too, though, that like, you know, he wants people to interpret it more generally, unless it's just completely against whatever. You know, we just choose not to think badly of Matthew. <laughs> 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 so, from there, I moved on to talking once again about what seems to be one of my favorite topics. It seems every episode we have discussed so far, and that's Nicodemus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. We, we see an even deeper thing with that this time, at least in my opinion it was. Because, okay, first of all, Mary was restored. The Pharisees have seen this. It's been reported, and so they're ready to bestow this great honor on Nicodemus. Okay, so we see once again this play in Nicodemus that is not stereotypical of most Pharisees, because most right. of them would have been just like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, look what I did. He's fixing to have to go get down. <clears throat> Sorry, our dog is causing issues. Um <laughs> But you can clearly see that even more that uh, Nicodemus is really uncomfortable with the way that people think about him and the kind of praise that they're bestowing on him. 
Exactly. That's where I was actually headed with this, because it kind of started off with that. As soon as he heard that this is what he was being called to this guy for, what they wanted to do, he was like, um, can we hold off on that, you know? He's still not even sure that had anything to do with him. Exactly. And he's got, you know, an actual sense of integrity and and caring about the situation, so he's not just going to take honor for something like that. Exactly, and most of them would have. And that, that was key to me. Most of them would have, but he was like, no, I'm not so sure about this. Let me research for myself, you know. So he wants to go and talk to her, and, you know, that's when he finds out that, you know, it, it in fact was not him. Um, but then, okay, they go forward from that, and he's still questioning. And I thought the layout of this scene was very pointed. When he is still researching and questioning and trying to figure out because he he has obviously some suspicion of who this person is that Mary says did this. Yet he's trying, he's searching and all that. And he's trying to figure out his wife, meanwhile, is standing there literally putting gold flakes (laughs) in her hair. I didn't know they did that in ancient Israel. Well, I knew that. but But I thought it was very pointed with what was happening here. And I think they set the scene that way on purpose. She's sitting here in all her lavish garments, and she's literally putting gold flakes, you know, all in her hair. And she's basically telling him, okay, she goes forward and she tells him what you were talking about, or I guess alluding to a while ago, when she's saying that he needs to stop his researching and his studying he needs to be getting ready because they have guests coming that have been waiting for weeks to have him perform Shabbat. That it was like breaking bread with God. And you could just see the, like, it was like a visible slap, he was you know, when he heard that. Yeah. And, he, and I've been shocked. Sorry. <laughs> and I think shocked that it was coming from his wife. Like, I don't think he realized his wife thought this way. Yeah, that she was that far off, you know. Um... And he's, you know, basically making the comments that, you know, I forget his exact phrasing, but basically he was once again being a little sarcastic about the fact (laughs) that he needed to stop anything that actually furthered his relationship with God or let him know more about God so that he could go perform these things. And she was, you know, why are we stopping performing? Yeah. And she was saying to make it quick. Make it quick, yeah. It's like, I'll try not to stay too long honoring God. Honoring God, yes. (laughs) How dare we do that? But to me, the whole thing was by the fact that she was sitting there doing what she was doing while having this conversation with him, and we see in future episodes uh, kind of the same pattern, is she feels like his questioning, his straying from certain things, the norm, um, his stepping outside of this, um, box, I guess, that they're in, this parasitical box, him stepping out of this, that this puts this lavish lifestyle that she has in jeopardy. Because if he loses his position because of these, as she puts it, blasphemous questions that he has and these things that he is doing, then she loses her lavish lifestyle. No more gold flakes for her hair. Okay. You know, this, this prestige of being the wife of this god that they're breaking bread with, you know. She loses all of that, and I kind of get the picture through this scene 
But that's kind of what they were trying to point the point they were putting across here is that she's speaking so greatly against the searching of his, of his because she's afraid of losing her lifestyle. He's all, you know, he's more about inward reflection, and she's all about outward, about the surface and what it looks like. Position. Yeah, I think he was a bit disgusted to discover that in her. <laughs> As any spouse, I guess, would be if you were not aware of this about your spouse and you suddenly became aware of that. I don't know how um, those two ended up together. Like, they're really on a different wavelength. <laughs> Well, maybe it wasn't always that way, or maybe it was an arranged marriage. That was pretty often back then. You kind of get Mr. and Mrs. Bennett vibes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Even Any of you Jane Austen fans out there? Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, yes. Um, it's like when your wife is just so silly that the only way you can even survive is to be sarcastic. Yeah, be sarcastic. <laughs> And find amusement at her expense because of her behavior. <laughs> um, <laughs> then uh, later when... Um, I don't think Nicodemus was amused. Though. I think he was highly no, he disgusted. Was he really was. And I, I couldn't blame him because that is disgusting behavior. <clears throat> later at the, um, you know, at the actual dinner, there's also the people who come at the door and tell him that he makes them whole. Yes, I was going to head into that too. Yes, I'm glad you brought it up. He, You could see he was so offended and disgusted by that. As I, as I would hope anyone would be, especially someone in his position. You could tell him how coldly he replied. Yeah, I, I think, and as that was like the second time he had heard something in that evening, I think he was about like, if one more time and I'm done. <laughs> I'm just walking out of this place. You know, this is just... Yeah. She um, was just like, well, shall we go to dinner? <laughs> Yeah. Gloss over that one. Um, yeah, and speaking of the dinners, that was pretty much one of the last things that I really had to discuss about this because I thought, it, I mean, it was most of the episode. Um, <clears throat> the main point, so, yes, one of my favorite and I call classic sayings was from this episode where Mary, when Nicodemus went and spoke to Mary, and she said, all I can say is, I was one way, and now I'm another, and the thing that happened in between was him. Um, I think we all should be able to make that comment, because that statement. if Jesus was really impacted, you can't ever forget about him. Well, you can also not be the same. You right. know, it's the whole, you shall know them by their fruits. If he's really in you, then he's making your decisions and choices now. And therefore, once he's actually in you, you should not be the same. You can't go back to being that person again because if he's in you and you're listening to him and you're following what the Holy Spirit is prompting, you can't go back to doing the things that you used to do. And you start wanting to do things that you never wanted to before. You even start, as we talked about earlier, Becoming capable of things that you never thought capable of because he's doing that in you. Um, so we all should be able to say, I was one way, but now I'm another. And the thing that happened in between was him and still is him. But <clears throat> this was a thing that I thought was key once again. And this should be key 
for all of us to remember in our lives because we all tend to, I think, get a little hung up on big, grand displays. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything or I can't be anything because um, they all think it has to be something big and major and grand. But I thought this episode highlighted the contrast perfectly. And this is the thing. Okay, so she tells Nicodemus, and I can't help but think that perhaps, maybe it's just me, but maybe it was an underlying thing in the episode. Okay, Nicodemus had spoken to Mary. She tells him that she's going to do her first Shabbat, you know, since she was like a child. And she tells him, I'm sure mine will be nothing like yours. Well, that was true enough. But then he goes and encounters what he encounters, okay? And while, yes, he's got this lavish Shabbat with all the right things, said in all the right ways, and all the right times, and I can't help but wonder if in the back of his head he's thinking how much better hers probably was. Why? Because, <clears throat> okay, for all the lavishness that his had, the right people, all the right words, said in such fancy and flourishing ways, you know, and this, I'm sure, you know, while his table was like overflowing with foods and all the fancy things and all this kind of stuff, it was very, and I, this is where I say I wonder if it was in the back of his head after the conversation he had with his wife, after the conversation with his guest, after the conversation with Mary, after the questions in his head, everything in that Shabbat was fake. It was very surface, it was very vain, it was very fake, it was all for show, like she said, a performance. It was all for show. It was like these people were wanting, well, like say for instance, you know, like they felt like they were going to go dine with the queen, okay? That this is a service that he has to do once in a while to these peons, so they feel special because they got to go have Shabbat with the leader of the Pharisees. You know, um, it, it, it was all like a performance. Hers, however, yes, it was very small. It was very humble. The people she had at her table were less than desirable people, you know, by their kind of standards anyway. They were less than desirable people. Um, but, but, it was full of meaning. It was very full of reverence, as it should be. And it was full of love. They had the most humble (laughs) of dwellings and, you know, a place setting before them and attire. And she's having to read the words because she doesn't remember them. And she's nervous and she's stumbling. So there's definitely not, you know, this big, amazing speech or anything like that. And the key is... Which dinner did Jesus go to? And that's exactly where I was headed with that. That's the thing, okay? Um, she, I think by the fact that she had, she was embarrassed that she had to read them, but I think the fact that she could have just tried to muddle through, she could have let somebody else do it. But she went ahead and she read them, and she wrote them down to read them. Why? Because she wanted to get it right. She wanted to make sure she was showing proper reverence that was far more important to her than anything else um than having everything just right and so perfect she just she wanted that to be right and that's the heart and it's just that jesus looks on the heart 
He's not looking at all the outside fancy stuff. I mean, he's the king of kings. Does he deserve that all this fancy? Yes, of course he does. But where did he choose to go? He went to chose. Ugh. He chose to go to Mary, because that he looks on the heart, and that's where the heart was at. The other one was just to show. Um. The other thing was that the conversation again, going back to Nicodemus and his wife, right before the guests came in. Well, the tapestry. The tapestry, when they were talking about the tapestry. Yeah. Okay. He questions their ways again and again. <clears throat> okay. And his wife keeps talking him out of it. And at this point, they were looking at a tapestry, and they were talking about the history of this tapestry and how their worship had been suppressed. Okay. And he says, and I thought this was so poignant, he says, who is responsible for suppressing our worship now? And a very deep question. And we know who he was talking about, but I don't think she quite got it. <laughs> I think it kind of went over her head. <laughs> Not real surprising, I guess. But he had obviously hit a spot. And that was right before the Pharisees came in and said that he made them whole. And... That's why I say I wonder if in the back of his head when he's saying these words over this Shabbat if he was thinking about marriage Shabbat and how much he might would rather be at something like that where there was real meaning and there was real reverence um, and others actively seeking God and, and questioning these things, you know. I think he'd have been far happier and far more comfortable amongst these people than he would have with his so-called own, you know. Um, I don't think he was happy at all, but, um, so Jesus did not show up, as you said, at the lavish Shabbat, full of important people. <laughs> he showed up at the sincere one, the humble one, and it was full of meaning, and he didn't care that she had to read the words. This is important, because so many of us feel like we can't pray or we can't pray for others, or we can't do anything for the kingdom because we might have to actually, we can't remember the words, so we might have to write them down. We might be nervous or awkward or stumbling in our words. He didn't care about any of that. He cared that her heart was in it, and that's all he's ever looking at is her heart. He cares that your heart is in it. It doesn't matter what you sound like. It doesn't matter what you look like doesn't matter how well you do it or how beautifully you do it. He just cares that your heart is in it, and hers was, and it was full of meaning. <clears throat> and those there, as we talked about, were by many others considered like the bottom rung of society, <laughs> okay? But, and that's another thing that a lot of people try to say, well, I'm nothing, I'm a nobody, I'm not good enough. Look at the things that I've done. Look at who I am. Look at where I come from. These were the bottom rung of society. Jesus could have went to any household, including Nicodemus's, where there was the creme de la creme of society. But where did he choose to go? He chose to go there, and not because he was looking at these people as... Um, some of the earth that needed its help, you know. He was going because that was where the hearts were. That's where the meaning and the reverence was. Um, their hearts were far above 
high society people. And that's where he wanted me. Over and over and over again in his word, he talks about all he wants is our hearts. He doesn't care about anything else. He wants our hearts. And that's where the hearts were. That's very important. Uh, and she said, when we were talking about um, Nicodemus' wife, she said, you have to remember what sect they belong to and what their beliefs were. And she was ingrained in this thought or lifestyle. I felt Nick was maybe coming under conviction. I definitely get that impression. Mm -hmm. And then she says, Lord knocks at the door of the heart. Will you let him in? Sup with him, wonderful Shabbat. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about how when uh, at Mary's dinner, when <laughs> when Jesus knocks on the door and he's like, "I don't mean to be rude, but be okay, right?" I come in. Yeah. We were like, "That's Jesus on the door of your heart." <laughs> I don't mean to be rude, but <laughs> he doesn't force himself in. He's like, "Can I come in?" I still think the funniest part was when the dude told him that Shuva was blind. <laughs> like, in case you couldn't notice. <laughs> yes, I, I learned how, how good-humored and comfortable he was with everybody. You could tell that he did not, he wasn't looking down on them. Not at all. Not at all. And see, again, I think that speaks so many volumes, you know, and I really do believe that is exactly the way Jesus is. If he was here walking on this earth today, he could effortlessly, effortlessly, goodness, I can't talk to <laughs> effortlessly um, intermingle amongst any class of people um, of any background, uh, you know, he just, because he just loves them no matter what. And, and that's the way that he wants us to be. It really shouldn't matter who you are or where you're from or how much money you have or how much you don't have or what your background is or what your history is or even what your future is for that matter because heck, people use people for that too. But <clears throat> it shouldn't matter. It's just the fact that you should just love them. And because of that, you can just so easily intermingle and... and, and speak to them and you know I think that's what really you know there are certain people in this world that like everybody seems to be drawn to no matter mm -hmm. who they are or where they're, they're just drawn everybody's drawn to this person and the one thing that that person always seems to have with these people that I've seen like this have is that they're just unaffected by any of the other they just love and people are just drawn to that I mean because Sadly, it's such a rare, rare unicorn to just love people no matter what, you know, to just give it so completely um, without strings. Really? Just, it, it's, it's sad, but it's rare, and that, that is what he commanded us to do, you know, that, that unconditional, completely, truly unconditional love. And yeah, it is a hard thing to do as humans. We let that flesh get in the way. We let those variables <laughs> get in the way. But we need to learn to be a little bit more like Matthew and like, you know what? That is what Jesus told us to do. So that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> yes, X, Y, Z, and a few algebraic equations here and there. But that doesn't matter. He said love. He didn't say love if X, Y, Z. He said 
love. End of story. Hmm. We need to, to get a shirt like be like Nazi. Just do it. Nike now. New Nike spokesperson. That's right. Just just do it. Doesn't matter. Just do it. It's what he said to do. I would love to see Matthew advertise shoes. <laughs> oh, he could advertise all those sandals. Exactly. He was very big about his shoes. <laughs> yeah, on the subject of the people at Mary's dinner, I do love uh, Shula and Barnaby. Yeah. And I think both would be looked down on for for different reasons. Um, but one, yeah, just being that they seem like kind of poor. But I would totally hang out with you and Barbie. I would be a blast. <laughs> this is me and my buddy. <laughs> but like, okay, so she was born, in case you didn't notice. Yeah. And, um, Junior. You get, uh, you see some of that in one of the other stories in the Gospels, that uh, blindness was um, looked on as like a punishment. A punishment, yeah. And... Barnaby just has no filter, so I think he would just be seen as really uh, coarse and disrespectful, I guess. There's always one in the group. <laughs> but I think it's the, once again, it's the contrast with the people, like the Pharisees, some people at that dinner, was um, one thing that Shula was physically blind, but they were spiritually blind. Mm, okay. And... Whereas everything they did was pretense, Barnaby was honest. That's one thing you I can was going to say real. That's exactly what I was thinking. They they were real, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no show. There was no fakeness. There was no pretense. There was no performance. It was just they are what they are. <laughs> you know, they were real. Um, and I think you know that's. That's what Jesus wants from us, and that's what most people want, whether they admit it or not. They want, they not only want to be around people who are real and are drawn to that, but I think why they're so drawn to that is so many people want to be real, but they don't feel like they can. They feel like they have to put on a show. But they long to be real, and they admire people who are. And I think that's why they're drawn to it. They might not admit it, but... I'd far rather listen and be friends with, but to listen to someone who is real and raw and honest and completely imperfect than to someone who's puffed up and giving me a show and performance that they are perfect. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I don't want to talk to the person who has it all together. I want to talk to the person who's making it when it's not all together. <laughs> I want it. Give me Shula and Barnaby any day. <laughs> That's how Jesus felt. Yeah, right, we should we know. address the Jesus wink that was so controversial? <laughs> controversial I think that was like their first big controversy. I think so. Because he weeps. Yeah. Um, they acted like that was irreverent that Jesus wouldn't weep. I don't understand why they would think that he wouldn't. Um, first of all, I think this is, again is one of those variables that doesn't amount to a hell of a beast. What difference does it make whether he winks or not winks? Like, what would that. that imply about him? 
for real. Um, I, I think it still goes back to the same thing that he would have a joking or teasing or sense of humor, you know, any kind of mannerism like that. And I, I'm sorry, but I completely disagree with anybody that thinks that he wouldn't. Um, that the Bible doesn't really speak on that one way or another, but he gave us a sense of humor. And I, like I said before, I don't think it's any coincidence that laughter is so healing to us. Um, I believe he instilled laughter in us for that very reason. He gave us that to bring us joy and healing in Absolutely. us. Absolutely, and, and humor is one of the biggest Oops. ways that people can relate to each other. Bonding. It's actually been proven that um, people bond far more and more quickly through share of humor and laughter than any other way. Um, so why anyone would think that he would not, I mean, again, do they really think he walked this earth for 33 years and never laughed, never teased, never joked, never had a sense of humor? I mean, I, I just, I can't even fathom that kind of line of thought. And I think that's where a lot of people are actually turned away from Christianity because so many try to, to put it out there like we're just so stiff and we're so can't have fun, can't do anything fun, you can't choke, you can't laugh, you can't, I mean, you know, I just, that that's so far from the truth. I really do believe that the way they have portrayed Jesus is the way Jesus would be. Um, He's someone who draws you to him. And you just don't get drawn to grave, morose people. No. I mean, why would you want any part of that? Wouldn't it be funny, though, since he knows everything, and he sees everything, if when he came back, he gave everybody a big old wink. <laughs> I hope he does. I'm back. Just <laughs> <laughs> me. She said, God definitely has a sense of humor. Why wouldn't Jesus? He is joy. As they say, he created giraffes. In the block <laughs> Yes, in the block <laughs> By him and for him and through him were all things created. And the blood patient does exist. Yes, yes, it does. So, Look it up. Check that thing out. Tell me he doesn't have a sense of humor. He's <laughs> literally <laughs> the frowning blob. Yeah. Look up the blob fish. He's it looks funny. so grumpy. <laughs> like he just melted and he's frowning about it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I bet Jesus just looks at it sometimes and laughs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he was feeling funny oh, that day. <laughs> I see absolutely nothing wrong and everything right about believing that our creator has a sense of humor. Um, and I don't know why that's a bad thing. I really, I mean, I can see where, yes, some people's sense of humor can take a a dirty turn, you yeah, know, um, a dark turn sometimes. Yes, but that is not what has been portrayed here at all. And I see absolutely nothing wrong in believing that he joked that he teased you know he had fun particularly in this case what he was winking to was you know barnaby making the comment about nazareth and so what he was doing was showing that he's not he was offended. good with it yeah was like, well, it's cool i got you, you know? yeah <laughs> i'm not offended it's okay you know which is also a really good example so especially in a like, world where everybody's offended by everything <laughs> A lot of people should take that example. 
Yeah, <clears throat> the controversial week. Yep. And I think it's the next episode where we get into the controversial thing about the dancing, the comment about, was it Simon's dancing, I believe? I think that's People episode five. That. Oh, is it? Okay, I'm jumping ahead. My bad. <laughs> I love that episode, though. Mm. I think that was the next thing that everybody got upset about, is because he joked about that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I don't recall the part in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not joke or weep or laugh. <laughs> I must have missed that somewhere. I don't know. But anyways. Um, I think I'd basically say in closing that it's like Dallas said, and like where you were talking about, the main point that he wanted to show was, um, <laughs> she is a spoiler alert walking. I really I, am. I'm her. sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yes. <laughs> I really feel like most people at this point have seen it all anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> they I watch it, they've been just I like, tend to just automatically assume, yes, because, you know, I, I've watched season one like four or five times now. And, you know, season two, by the way, if y'all don't already know, Sunday is the bittersweet season finale of season two. Don't want to miss that. Um, But since season two is now ending, I tend to just assume that people have seen season one. And so, yeah, I just kind of say things. So sorry. Spoiler. (laughs) So the point, you know, that the main point you wanted to show was at the end, the contrast between... I think there's like four different Shabbat dinners that they show. Um, you have Mary's dinner, you have the dinner of the Pharisees, you have um, Matthew's family, Matthew's family, and you have Simon and Eden and Andrew, and the uh, just the different atmosphere in all of them. <laughs> um, uh, and each one telling a different story. There's a different story behind every one. Um, Mary's dinner, and and I feel like I should just give a slight shout out to the fact that Mary is so so different in this episode compared to the last one. <laughs> <laughs> so, like she said herself. She said it. Yeah, it like before she was just so broken and and cynical when she wasn't you know having the tax going on, um, and and in this one she's like just so. Right. Yeah, she just seems so like innocent and happy and sweet. And you still still can kind of see how the the triggers work, like when she's talking with Nicodemus and he's you know bringing up you know and about she doesn't Lilith. Even talk about it. Yeah, yeah, and she immediately gets upset, and I can understand that. But yeah, overall, it's just so so different and refreshing. To me, it's the picture of what redemption really looks like when you truly feel free. Because all of that is gone, and it's been taken from her, and she was completely redeemed. And she felt it, and she showed it, and that's what it should look like. Hers, her dinner just had, it's like you said, it was sincere. It had a feeling of sincerity and really wanting to participate in, in, you know, this tradition and to please God. And there was just a warmth and a comfortableness to it, even though some of these people didn't even know each other prior, that it just happened naturally. Um, yeah, because not only did Jesus show up, but he brought some friends. 
And you know, when we first watched this episode, we had the conversation, you know, what it would be like to have been in Mary's shoes to be so new to all of this in a way. I mean, yes, she grew up that way, but it had been since she was a child. She's already stressed out and, and, and worried about, you know, doing this right and getting it right. But then on your very first Shabbat that you've ever given when you're so newly released from demons and you're trying to, you're stressing out about getting, not only Jesus of all people shows up at your door and he brings friends to <laughs> Talk about a Martha situation. <laughs> a very <Mary> Martha situation. <laughs> Well, at least there was she chose two. Mary, thankfully. She did. <laughs> she was married. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that would be a truly panicky kind of moment. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> she was happy, nervous. Yeah, she was. I, and I would hope we all would be in these Jesus. You know. <laughs> when you look at him and say, I could really use some of that peace right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but it was a happy feeling. It was a warm feeling. And oh, and the fact that they're all you know reading from the same thing um, just highlights like you know it's like the same thing happening, but there's something really fundamentally different every time. Um, the one with the Pharisees. Yeah, it's just um, for one thing you it can was cold. See, yeah, it was cold, and you could just tell that nobody was really focusing that much on what it was actually about. It's like, okay, we're getting through this speech so we can continue our... Reading a script, yeah. That was a performance. <clears throat> and, and Nicodemus himself, you could still see, was really displeased. And, yeah, just not in the moment there. Also, the fact that, you know, it begins how when they did the Woman of Valor speech, you know, he was thinking about his wife. <laughs> and he, yeah. was, he was like, this is not my wife. <laughs> No, I have a feeling he was doing a lot of life reflecting at that particular moment. I think Mary was already showing a lot more power than Jesus' wife had. Um, Can you imagine being told that this woman who was demon possessed just not so long ago shows more valor than you do? This woman from the Red Quarter. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and uh, Eden, definitely, too. Oh, yeah. She's very strong for her family. And for God, she cares, you know, she cares very deeply about, you know, Collins. The honoring Shabbat and everything. Um, but yeah, with, with them, with uh, Simon and Andrew and Eden, um, it was so tense. <laughs> Nobody was happy because they all, like, Eden didn't know the whole situation, I don't think, but she knew that Simon was going to go. She, I guess she got fishing. And uh, Andrew knew totally what was happening, so he looked pretty stiff and tense. And, yeah, it was awkward. <laughs> then Matthew, you don't really see too much of his family, of course, but it's... Although I know his sister looked really solemn, but it made me wonder if she was kind of missing. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of tugs at my heart, like you see how much Matthew does still yearn for his family, and 
to be accepted by people. She's not in really any quarter at that time. And I just ends up getting with the dog. The dog was a better companion to him than anybody else. Yeah, <clears throat> he really was. Kind of sad. But, you know, if you think about it, if you think about the way they viewed dogs, right? Dad it was, talked about it that. put them, like, in the same place, sadly, because that's the way they viewed him. They, they put him on the equivalent level of a dog. Um, so, yeah, they, they kind of sadly could relate to each other very well. In society, they were on the same level. At least the society he cared about. <clears throat> You know, Matthew had just as much a luxurious home, almost, as Nikki Eunice did, um, because of doing this for the Romans, but it didn't give him anything actually fulfilling. Mm -hmm. It didn't satisfy his loneliness or desire for family. I would expound upon that a little, except it would be another spoiler, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep that to myself until we get there. I'll keep that in mind, I want to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> also, the fact that, you know, after he really, um, you get the, you know, kind of talked about it later, that he really just hadn't engaged in, in Jewish culture or, uh, you know, Judaism in general, and that time that he was going to have a Shabbat dinner with his family, and he ended up backing out, um, I guess thinking about the fact that he wouldn't be welcome. Because I think the stark contrast of the two Shabbats were meant to engage our thoughts. Peace and forgiven in one man's tradition. So say, <clears throat> you know them by their fruits. And there's a lot to be said for people who go through the motions and people who are just living it, you know, it's coming from the heart. And you can tell the difference. You can totally tell the difference. <clears throat> between somebody who's truly living it and feeling it and somebody who's just going through the motions. And I think Nicodemus was facing that stark reality throughout that whole episode and he wasn't liking what he was seeing. And that's pretty much the way Jesus looks at it, you know? And that's why he showed up with the one that he did and brought friends. <laughs> Yes, I believe their exact words were that he said it would be a good place <laughs> to come. And I, you know, it's funny because I'd actually forgotten that he said that, but that's exactly what I was just thinking and was fixing to say. That's high praise when Jesus not only shows up to your place, but he thinks it's worthy of bringing friends to as well. <laughs> you know, that that's high praise indeed. So, unless you had anything else to expound upon, or anybody else had anything else to expound upon, I think we can wrap it up there for episode two. I think that's it. Okay. Well, in the meantime, hopefully we will be back the next Friday. So, go ahead, if you haven't already, and watch episode three of season one. Um... Be prepared with anything that you want to discuss so that hopefully you can discuss it with us on here. Even if you don't catch the live, you can still leave comments. Um, and don't forget, Sunday is the season finale of season two. 
So with that, everybody have a great Friday and a great weekend. Bye, everyone. I just realized. Yeah. Bye.